And straightway he constrains his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. When he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went, on, went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. I don't like reading the next verse, but I think it's indicative. And our sister Ellis just sang about how we ought to love him. And if we remember what he's done for us, we ought to love him and worship him. And look at what it says about the disciples. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. My first title was, Why Not Just Quit? <laughs> Why not just quit? Why not just throw in the towel? And I gathered that from that 52nd verse and then the little phrase in verse number 45 where they were toiling and rowing. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the blessings of God. And I would like to echo the words of the pastor. It was just a wonderful attendance. And Sister Ellis talked also about being in churches where people uh, don't attend as faithfully on Sunday morning as these dear folk attend on Wednesday night. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful Help us to realize what we have in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you'd bless these few minutes. I don't have a long message tonight. Uh, to me, Lord, between me and you and the audience, it's, if I was a pastor, I, and I never have been, but I, I would talk to people on a Wednesday night regular prayer meeting uh, about what I'm going to talk to them about tonight. And I pray that you'd help me you and anoint it. May you anoint me, and may you anoint our listeners' ears and affect their hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a football coach in America uh, by the name of P.J. Fleck. And P.J., he is the coach of the Minnesota Golden Gophers there in the Big Ten. I don't know if you have any kind of football down here in this part of the world. I, I distantly remember something called the SEC, but I, I, I don't know if they're even playing anymore, to be honest with you. But P.J. Fleck was a, a star end in Illinois in high school. His team won uh, two state championships. He held the record. He caught 95 touchdown passes, excuse me, 95 passes in one season. Uh, which was the state record in Illinois, and he started his coaching career 
at Ohio State under Jim Trussell. And uh, he was there a while, and then he went up to uh, Western Michigan uh, football team, a college uh, near Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo is where they have the nut house, and of course that tells you a lot about Michigan, I guess. You probably don't. Do you have a nut house in Georgia? Do you really? Probably every state does, I guess, because there's a lot of nuts in America, <laughs> tell you that. But he went up there, and his first season he was uh, one and eleven. And uh, the next, within a couple of seasons, he had them at ten and one. And then uh, the University of Minnesota hired him, and in his third season, he got a ten-win uh, record uh, that year. But on February the 9th, 2011, he held his infant son in his arms as the baby died. And he said this, as you hold your son as he passes away, your whole life changes. And out of that tragedy grew a mantra that has defined his life ever since as a football coach. And his mantra is, just keep rowing. So I changed the title after the illustration, How to Keep Rowing. I want you to consider, if you would, in verse number 48. The Bible says there that he saw them. Jesus saw them. They didn't see him. He saw them. They were in the midst of the Sea of Galilee and turmoil and trouble, and Jesus was on the shore a long ways away. But you know, Jesus can see us wherever we are. He sees us. He cares about us. He's concerned about every aspect of our lives. We may not see him, but we can be assured that he sees us. Amen. I've been saved long enough to know this. If God brings you to a situation, he will bring you through that situation. Amen. It's hard to see sometimes. It's, it's hard to see what God's doing in our lives. But I think if you'll be honest tonight, you can feel his hand sometimes in your back just helping you along. Sometimes you can feel his arm around your shoulder and him patting you on your heart and say, I'm with you. Sometimes you can feel the encouragement. Sometimes he'll... Take your elbow and you can feel it. Come on, Tim, just, just keep on going. This, this is no getting off place. You remember there was a sick guy in Mark chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 5. And uh, there was a big crowd where Jesus was. And those fellas, they couldn't get this sick guy. These four guys, you know, they got a pallet of some kind and they're carrying him, trying to get him to Jesus. And so they tore the roof off the place. You know that story. And the Bible says there, and it's an interesting thing. It says when Jesus saw their faith, he didn't see the faith of the guy that was sick. 
He saw the faith of the guys that were taking him to Jesus. Sometimes we see nothing but doubt. We experience nothing but fear. And it's not us, but him that makes the difference. His eyes are always on us, not on the circumstances. And the problem with us, our eyes are always on the situation and not on him. You recall when, I know some of you, it's going to be really hard to do. But can you remember when you were a kid, a little kid, trying to get away with something at the house? Maybe stealing cookies out of the cookie jar or, you know, eating your brother's lunch or some dumb thing. And I'm just telling you about dumb things that my brother Johnny did. Uh, but you remember when you were a kid and you, you, never, you never got away with it. You always got caught. You were always apprehended by someone that cared and somebody that loved you. And Jesus cares. Oh, yes, he cares. I know that he cares for us. And you may be in this building tonight and you have a smile on your face and you had to paste it on before you came in here and you've been rowing in a contrary wind, but God knows where you are. I want you to contemplate another thing from verse number 48 down near the end. It said about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them. He could see them and he came to them. He cometh unto thee. He comes to where we are, I think, to get us to where he wants us to be in our lives. My precious friend, Randy Pike, I, I think I mentioned him in one other message. He's just been on my mind and heart. I got an email from his wife uh, just before coming down here that uh, she felt like he was on his deathbed. But Randy said this in one of his books. He said, the person whose heart is in heaven is not afraid to have his feet in the grave. <laughs> if we have our affections set on things above, we don't get overly concerned or worried about the fluff and feathers and problems of this life. And I say to you tonight, while in the storm, keep serving, keep praying, keep praising, keep singing, keep Rowing. I'll tell you one of the best things to do to ever get yourself out of a spiritual negative is to just have an old-fashioned shouting spell. I have, I have more shouting spells at home than I do at church nowadays. I don't know. I guess maybe I don't have as much resistance at home as I do at church. I don't ever have them when my wife's home, though. No, I just have them, you know, privately, just me and Jesus. The last real shouting spell I had was last year. It was in February. I only get one a year now. I don't think my heart can take it. But I only have one a year, and we were in Israel. 
And uh, we were at the Garden of Gethsemane. And we were supposed to have a certain little place to go and have a little meeting. And one of the preachers was going to preach. And it just didn't work out. And so we walked up above those uh, olive trees. And we walked down a little, man, we walked like up a hill like this. And then we walked down a little path. And it was kind of secluded. But uh, they, we started singing. People started singing. And, and I don't remember what we were singing, maybe in the garden. I don't know what it was. But they sang a couple of songs. And I mean, it just, I don't know if you've ever had a real Baptist spell. Now, a lot of people have, a lot of Baptists have fake ones. You know, so other people can see and they think you're spiritual. And nobody at the house thinks you are, but, you know, you can come to the church house and fake it. But I, I had one of those spells where you don't care where you are, who you are, or what you are. And you don't care what anybody else thinks about you. I mean, I had, I mean, I had a praise God, hallelujah, both hands up in the air, shouting spell. Just keep on praising. Keep with the difficulties and the problems. Just keep on rowing. Then I want you to think about this. Look in verse number 50. Right there in the middle, after the first sentence. And immediately, he talked with them. Jesus spoke to them. Verse, this is hilarious to me. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to say, I hope I'm not irreverent. And if I am irreverent, if you're not a very spiritual person, you can come to me after the church and talk about it. If you're a spiritual guy, I don't want to be intimidated. But they thought he was a spirit. They, when he came. They thought, he, they thought he was a spirit there in verse 49. Then supposing it had, it, it, what a, it had been a spirit. I mean, here they are. They started out in the evening. Now they're in the fourth watch of the night. That's within the last three hours before dawn. They've been fighting this thing for nearly 12 hours out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and Galilee uh, that Sea of Tiberias is not all that big of a body of water. They've had a long battle with crashing waves and billowing winds and the darkness of night and all of a sudden they see the boogeyman. They are scared. I, what in the world? We, look at all we've been through and now we're seeing they didn't even know who he was. But he spoke. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when Jesus speaks down in the depths of your soul? Amen. He spoke, and the winds were silenced, and the waves withered to foam and turned into little white caps and then to calm seas. And the skies cleared, and the moonbeams danced on the sea of glass just as quiet as could be. Oh, my. Frightening was this, I suppose, to them. But then he spoke. Now, I like what he said. He said three interesting things to me in verse 50. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Be of good cheer. There were words to express his power. He had power over the elements 
power over the winds, power over the waves, power over the sea. He has power over everything even today. And he said, it is I. Those were words of the, especially telling us of his presence. <laughs> he said, folk, he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He indwells every believer. If you are a born-again, genuine, born-again child of God, he lives inside of us tonight. He said, be not afraid. These were words of extreme promise. And he said, basically, I'm on your side. It'll all work out. Don't get all, don't get all bent out. Now, that, this is in the Greek. Don't get all bent out of shape about it. Got to really be a Greek scholar to come up with that one. The trials, the turmoils, the tests of faith. He's here. He's with us. Always. I don't know. That does a lot for me. I spend, uh, I'm not, I don't need any sympathy at all. But I, I spend a lot of time alone. And I get myself in a lot of messes, sometimes, most of the time, accidentally or stupidly, one of the two. But I spend a lot of time alone. And, uh, and yet when I really look at it, I've never been alone since I've been saved. He's been with me every single step of the way. I think there's probably been times when he's tried me, tried to get me not to go that way or, or do that or say that. And I, I'll just confess to you, sometimes I listen and sometimes I just go right through and get myself in a mess. And then Jesus, you know, there in verse number 51, he, he went up unto them into the ship. In John chapter 6, when it talks about this, it says they willingly received him. I like that. What, what do you think? Can you imagine those 12 guys in a boat and they finally realize who he is? He said, no, we ain't got room for you. We don't, we don't have any more life preservers. We just got these 12. You're in trouble. He didn't need a life preserver for one thing. They willingly received him. You know, I wish every lost person in America would willingly receive him. I wish your lost loved ones would willingly receive him. I wish every Christian who gets out of shape and gets in situations, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but so many folk are looking for the exit ramps and this live streaming and parking lot church and all of that stuff that we've had to put up with in the last year and a half, there are Christians, quote unquote, that will never go back to church. What a shame. What a reproach. I've heard more stories of failures than you have. And I've heard more expressions of devilish destruction in preachers' lives and church people's lives and I know about more dropouts than you do and quitters. I had a preacher call me within the last two weeks. He was preaching at a mission conference for a young man. I preached for the guy. Preached revivals for him. Very small church. And, uh, and the minute they got there, 
pastor, my preacher friend and his wife, when they got there and they met these, this young couple, uh, the preacher's wife said, we're quitting. We're, not, we're, we're all done. We're, we're through. Uh, we wanted to put you up in the prophet's room, but we're living in the prophet's room until we leave town. Must have already sold their house, I guess. I didn't ask. And luckily, and that's not a good term when you're preaching, uh, fortunately, uh, my friend and his wife didn't have to stay in their prophet's room because I have stayed in their prophet's room. And it ain't fun. And it wasn't finished. And it was a real hassle. I, I'm not a prophet's room fan, just to be frank with you. I don't know if you could tell that or not. I, I think Brother Ellis is. I'm sure he and Sister Peggy love staying in those things. They're the spookiest things in the world. I mean, at 3 o'clock in the morning when that organ starts playing the Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> buddy, I'm up the rest of the night. I wish I had a shotgun. I'd shoot the Phantom. But I uh, called me on the phone, and I, I knew this boy's pastor. And uh, this boy's pastor quit. He's a quitter. I want to ask you a question. Why would you take counsel from a quitter? Why would, why would, if you were a church member and somebody's quit, why in the world would you waste your time talking to them? Unless you're trying to get them right. The average problem, they're like, a, they're like the anchor in this boat and they take you to the bottom with them. God help us. I know, I know lots of sad tales and loathsome sagas of saints that ain't anymore. Now I know life's road has a lot of twists and turns and dead ends and whys and curves and crashes, but God deserves our very best. And our unfailing faith. God help us. Remember there in Matthew chapter 14? And uh, Jesus said to, said to Peter, O thou of little faith. O thou of little faith. I don't know if I mentioned, you know, I'm getting old. And I, all, all these birds, when you're preaching, I don't know if you've ever had... But all these birds fly around, and then they land in your mind. But you can't remember if they landed in your mind two days ago, and you let them come out your mouth. And so I don't know. These two men so affected me in recent days that I can't hardly get over it. I met these two men in Texas, in Midland, Texas, in March, the last week of March. At the, I know I told you about the Old Timers Conference and my dad getting the same love offering I got, and he didn't even leave home. I know I told you that part. That's a little bit of bitterness, I think, in my heart. I don't know. But uh, one of those men, they, they both gave their testimonies. I, had, I didn't even know him. One of the fellows, he got up. He did Sunday school Sunday morning, and he said, he said, my, my father tried to, uh, not even have me be born. He wasn't married to my mother and tried to make it so that I wouldn't even exist. He said, my father was married 10 times. My mother was married six times. He said, my stepfather was married four times. He said, I have over 20 siblings I don't even know. He said, I was raised by my great-grandmother. 
by the grace of God, he got saved and he's preaching and has a church of four or five hundred out in the mid out in Kansas or Nebraska or someplace. Just a wonderful story of the grace of God. You talk about an almost impossible, impossible family situation. And yet God, in mercy and grace and love, reached down and picked that guy up. The little fella, he was only about this tall and had a, one of those oxygen tanks. And he's kind of retired and his son's taking the church. And he talked about how... Uh, he was sleeping under a piece of cardboard or on a piece of cardboard across the street from this Baptist church. And these guys come out Saturday night after having a prayer meeting. They saw him. They went over to him, talked to him, brought him into the house, or excuse me, in the church house. They led the guy to the Lord. They said, where are you going to go? He said, well, I'm going to go back and sleep under that piece of cardboard. That's my cardboard. He said, no, you're going home with me. The guy took him home, fed him a good dinner, Brought him to church Sunday morning to Sunday school and church. Brought him back Sunday night. Brought him back Wednesday night. Brought him to Thursday night soul winning. And the guy never quit and just kept on going for God. Just an old drunk. Just a, just a fella picked up alongside the road. I mean, not figuratively, but literally by the grace of God. Jesus can calm the storms in your family. Start, he can calm the storms in your heart. And those things that just rattle your mind, he can handle all of that. And now, now, you old people, you'll remember this when I say it. There used to be a guy on the radio called Paul Harvey. And he always would tell these wonderful tales and he'd get down to the end and say, now I'll tell you the rest of the story. The rest of the story of P.J. Fleck, the coach, now of the University of Minnesota. And he had that slogan, just keep rowing. He made an interesting statement. He said, when you are, when you're rowing a boat, you know, when you're rowing a boat, you can't see the future. You can just look back. I don't know what's behind me. I don't know what, what, I have, what I have to face in the future. I have no idea. I just want to keep rowing my boat and I can look back and I can see the blessings and the help and the hope and the joy and what God has put in my life. Just keep rowing. None of us know what tomorrow holds. There's three other little interesting things in this story, and I'm not going to be another, I'll be, we'll be, we'll, the service will be over at least my part by 8 o'clock. I'll be very fortunate to get home by 9.30 because everybody has to talk to your pastor about stuff that I'm not concerned about. I'm interested in going to the house and getting a little snack. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad to get that off my chest. I'm honest. You're not. He always, I'll be just a minute. I'll be just a minute. Man, if I got paid by the hour working for him, I'd be rich, wouldn't I? Just a minute. There's three other interesting things, and I, I won't 
go into detail, but I want to give you another little couple things. I want to talk to you about the ore, those ores. That's the energy you bring to the task. That's the effort of you and me just staying faithful. You got to keep on rowing. And then there's the boat that we're in. That vessel of sacrifice. That's the church. You got to just keep in the old ship a Bible Baptist. Just stay in the ship. And then follow the compass that gives us direction. That's this old book right here. It'll help us. It'll help us. And there's a warning. And I gave you this at the beginning. This is one of the most tragic verses to me in all of the Bible. It's almost as bad as when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane and all those 600 men came up with Judas at the head. Judas kissed him. Then he spoke. They all fell down. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If I was one of those 600 guys and I was one of the guys that fell back, buddy, I'd have been scatting out of that place in a New York minute. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that crowd at all because that man, he's got some power. And then there's a little verse down there talking about the disciples, and they all forsook him and fled. I think that's the saddest statement in all this book. But this one's pretty close. Verse 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The miracle of the loaves was just the day before. It had just happened. He had fed 5,000. There was 12 baskets left over. And these guys, they didn't even consider the miracle of the loaves. Now, maybe the miracle of him walking on the sea kind of got him sidetracked. I don't know. But I'm going to give you this warning from that little verse. Don't get hardened. Don't get discouraged. Don't be defeated. Don't forget where you came from and what God's done for you. Like our sister sang just before I preached. You remember when Israel crossed Jordan on dry land? They'd been out in wet desert for 40 years. They finally come across, and they had 12 guys. said, I want you to pick up a stone out there in the middle where the river was, and I want you to bring that to the other side, and I want you to make a little monument there, a memorial. I think that's a wonderful thing. I thought about that. I thought about that little memorial a lot in my life. I can imagine a, a granddad, a Jewish grandfather, maybe 80, Maybe, maybe a young grand, granddad, maybe 60, 65, somewhere in there. And I can see him, he'd been, he was just a 25-year-old kid, maybe a 20-year-old kid, maybe a teenager when they left Egypt, came across the Red Sea, all those 40 years. Now he's 65, 70. He's got a little five-year-old grandson and maybe an eight-year-old granddaughter. And he takes them by the hand and says, I want us to go down there by the Jordan River and I want to show you something and you take those children down there they'd see those 12 stones piled up there the little old kid what's that mean grandpa that means God God can take care of us 
God can work things out. I was just a kid. We walked through the Red Sea. We walked in the desert. God provided water, manna. We even, we even had quail. One, I mean, we had so many quail, we didn't know what to do with them. And he walked us across this Jordan River and gave us all this land. And one, I'll tell you something, Granddad. I'm going to tell you something, Mom and Dad. You need to remind those children some memorials. You make a memorial by staying faithful. I stayed here. I was faithful here at the church. I gave here. I worked here. I labored here. I loved here. I was blessed here. I, I was involved in the work of God. And I think that heritage can continue. There's a little phrase there in Joshua chapter 4 and verse number 11. And it says this, and they are there unto this day. And so is he. And so is he. He's faithful. You ever been in the boat? Stay in the boat. I, I probably told you this here. I don't know. It's just... About one of the brothers was talk, we were talking about cancer. Wonderful topic before church, wasn't it? Thrill your heart. We were talking about cancer. My brother, my kid brother died of cancer. My little sister died of cancer. My mother uh, died of cancer. And my wife's had cancer. I've had cancer. All God's children have cancer, I guess. I don't know. But I don't know why. I guess it might. It's about the time my brother died. I guess it's about this time, seven, eight years ago. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. But uh, my brother's casket was there. When my dad and I always did funerals, I'd stand at the foot of the casket, and he'd always stand at the head of the casket. And uh, my brother was sitting there right there where the brethren are sitting there right in the front row all alone. My boys were over there with their cousins. They were all crying and hugging each other. They did. That wasn't a normal thing for the green boys to do that, but they, you know, that my boys had lost their aunt. They loved their aunt Nancy. She was just a great girl. And of course, those kids had lost their mama. And the organist was playing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I stood there and I watched my brother sitting there in the front row of that pew singing that song. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. On and on and on how it goes. But we do serve a God that is faithful to us. Boy, the songs of Zion. If it, if, those songs and those old hymn books, those old hymns, I know there's some good new songs, not a lot of them, but there's, a, I tell you, those old songs, they just echo in my soul and echo in my heart all the time. Now, I'm not a singer. That Calvary covers it all. My soul, what a song. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I wouldn't be surprised those disciples when Jesus had come, those waters and they were heading to shore or a dock or whatever it was, they were probably singing Amazing Grace. John Newton might have been on there with them. I don't know. I bet they were singing something. Probably singing one of those old psalms. Praised our Savior and praised our great God. 
keep rolling, church. Just keep your oar in the water. Keep paddling, because one of these days, we're going to land on shore. The golden shore of God's deliverance.